0: Well, good morning. Before being an Anglican, I served in multiple churches. As a youth pastor, as a director of Christian education. And I served in these churches for approximately seven years. These churches were in a network of other churches throughout the country, throughout America. And I got to meet wonderful people throughout my experience, families, individuals. I was able to serve with other leaders, pastors, lay leaders, parishioners. But sadly, after seven years, I still was considered an outsider. I felt it. I wasn't fully welcomed, mostly by the leadership. I didn't have deep roots in these churches. My father and grandfather were not pastors who grew up in these churches, in these networks across the country. Thus, I wasn't, seriously, I wasn't taken seriously. I was often overlooked dismissed, uninvolved, and called upon. I didn't have the historical pedigree that some of the others did, who were part of these networks for many, many years and generations. I wasn't part of the inner circle, if you will. I didn't belong. I hadn't earned my stripes. For some, I was possibly too young, too eager to serve, I wasn't part of the establishment, the upper class of leaders. I had too much of a sinful background. I didn't grow up in the church practicing my faith, where many of the people that I encountered did. And so amongst the sheep of leaders, I was probably the black sheep. I went to seminaries that were deemed not as biblical. I have to be honest. I have to be honest. This was hurtful. There was a deep sense of rejection. You're not welcome here. You're not worthy enough. And for a long time, This created resentment in me. Why, I would say. Why? Why don't you accept me? These were the thoughts I was having in my head, in my heart. What have I done to you? How have I injured you in some way? I've always been kind to you. I've always been respectful to you. I've always gone out of my way to serve you. Fundamentally, I'm a fellow Christian like you. I have the same ambition and mission is to preach the good news, advance God's kingdom. I'm a partner with you, but why do I feel like I'm your enemy? Jesus has received me with all my flaws. Why won't you? Why won't you? Does this sound familiar? Has anyone had this kind of experience? And for a long time, naturally, I had a chip on my shoulder. A great deal of resentment, which formed a callousness in my heart. And that wasn't healthy, though. It It perpetrated a... A coldness, a divide. The tribalism that I believe Satan wanted us amongst brothers and sisters in the church to have. That's what it did. It corrupted the body, at least for me, because I had so much frustration and disappointment and, and I want to say anger towards other fellow leaders, but I learned the only way forward that would please God was to leave those injustices to God, and in the meantime, pray for them, and concentrate on what God has called me to do, and more importantly, who God has called me to be. have you ever experienced this sort of intolerance this resistance this unwelcoming feeling that you're on the outside and then there's an elite group on the inside a special group effectively if you've experienced that there is a sense of rejection and I, as I was preparing and praying and meditating on this passage, on all three of these passages this week, it dawned on me. The people who have hurt me most since coming to faith, accepting Jesus as my Lord, fellow Christians. I lament that I make this Confession. It's not those who've been outside the church that have hurt me the most. Sadly, it's been those in the church that have hurt me the most. This isn't an indictment on all Christians, but I'm being honest with you. Those who don't know Jesus, those who are on the outside, if you will, to use that phrase, have really not demeaned or rejected me. Those who are on the inside, if you will, have often opposed me. I believe this happens way too often. Fortunately, by God's grace, I didn't leave the church. But that's not the case for a lot of people, is it? Sadly, many people do leave when they're offended or rejected or unwelcomed by the established church. Specifically, those who don't have deep roots in the faith. Who've just come to church. Who've just sought the Lord recently in their lives. And they quickly might notice that they're not fully welcomed They're not fully members, part of the fellowship. Because they don't look the right way, sound the right way, or have the history and the ties of others. Now, I was able to distinguish between Christ and his people. There's a difference. And this is what our lessons this morning are all about. Let us turn to Numbers 11, the first reading. God calls Moses to summon 70 of the elders because Moses has complained to God. I'm on my own. This burden is too heavy for me. The Lord says, okay. You will share the burden with others. Others will share the burden with you of leading my people into the promised land. My spirit will fall upon them as well. And so... Call them into the tent. And there I will reveal my spirit. I will pour out my spirit on them. And so this is what happens. However, it just so happens that there was two men outside the tent. Named Eldad and Medad. Who were still called. Yet were not in the tent. They were outside on the camp. And they prophesied like all of those who prophesied inside the camp. Joshua sees this and immediately has a problem with it. And he turns to Moses, the one who is he's serving, and says, tell them to stop. They're not part of us. Moses quickly rebukes him and says, are you jealous for my sake? They're all prophesying, even these two men. They are worthy to be here and continue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon them. This is the same thing that James teaches his readers, the church. James teaches that our hearts need to be cleansed. We need to humble ourselves and not speak evil about one another, meaning in the church. You are judging each other by doing so. Who are you to judge? There is only one judge, and that's not you. Be patient with one another. Suffer with one another. Pray with one another. Confess to one another. Effectively, you're all in this together. If he or she confesses and believes that Jesus is Lord, they're with you, they're not against you, James is saying. Be united and not be divided. James is drawing from Jesus' teaching here in Mark's gospel. And let's look at that then clearly or closely. John, like Joshua, sees someone, an unknown figure, which we will later find out the little one, has been casting out demons in Jesus' name. But then he says that we try to stop him from doing so. Because why? Not because he was ineffective. Not because he was casting out in the name of Belzebul. No, because he was not part of us. He was not one of us, meaning the 12. Here the disciples who just recently, not long ago, failed to cast out demons themselves are criticizing one who has. They, as we argued, I made the case, were likely not casting out in the name of God, going to God in prayer, but relied on their own strength and abilities Here, this unknown figure has completely shattered their sense of identity and place as a special group of people. This one is actually successful. This unknown figure, not part of the 12, outside the elite in the group, has successfully casted out demons. And they have a problem with it. The main issue is that he's not one of them. He's outside the group. Sectarian attitudes were common in Judaism. The Dead Sea Scrolls teach us this. And so here, the spiritual blindness of the disciples is at full display. They think that they're unique and special. That who is this man, the audacity that this man has? And we must stop him. That He is casting out demons in your name, Jesus. But he's not part of us. He's an unknown figure. And so this is a severe blow to the ego of these disciples. Possibly jealousy. He has succeeded in what they have failed. And their ego and their pride might, I don't know, we don't know, might not be able to deal with that. For they are fallen creatures, aren't they? Just like you and me. When you see someone doing something great in the name of God, here's the great irony. Sometimes we're jealous of that. Instead of applauding and praising and celebrating that moment, that victory, that miracle, that exorcism, that whatever it was, we internalize that As somehow a threat to our own place in the kingdom. Is this speaking to someone in the room? This is what happens when we think we own this gospel, this kingdom. This is what happens when we think we are special somehow more than others. My dear brothers and sisters, I taught last week there is no one beneath us. In the kingdom of God, there is no one beneath us. (laughs) Again, the issue is status. Remember what they were arguing about last week: who is the greatest? (laughs) What an to insult to injury! He has outperformed them. This outside succeeded where the chosen failed. Their expectation is that others should follow them others should follow them (laughs) they're not so much concerned with their allegiance obedience to Jesus that's not their concern here which should be their concern no it's this man's obedience and allegiance to them but clearly this man had true faith in Jesus. The fact a man can work a miracle in Jesus' name shows that he can't be an enemy. Jesus responds Do not stop him. Why are you trying to stop him? For the one who does a mighty work, dunamis, the only word that actually is used when Jesus performs a miracle in Mark, here this unknown figure has done likewise. In my name, this man will never speak evil of me, Jesus says. For the one who is not against you is for you. People from other traditions, people from other churches, they're no less than us. We are just one body, one collection of people. They're doing their ministry and preaching Jesus just like we are. It's easy for us to cast judgment. They're not doing it right. We're the true church of Jesus Christ. And the other ones have fallen short. That's when we begin to compare churches from churches. So long as they do it in Jesus' name and have sound doctrine... We're in fellowship with one another. Obviously, if they deviate from the gospel, there is only one gospel, Galatians 1, 6 through 8. Right? If anyone deviates from that gospel, then they are not in fellowship with us. And we can speak and hope that they would turn to the Lord. But those from different backgrounds, we can learn tremendous amount from other churches and be blessed by them the richness of God cannot be contained within one denomination or body but here the disciples don't see that they see it as a threat to their own personal place in the kingdom of God the man is on the right side there is no justification for the disciples to oppose him Again, he's not casting out demons in the name of Belzebub. No house can stand if it is divided amongst itself, Jesus had taught. And the key thing is they're doing it, this man was doing it in the name of Christ. This is significant. That's why we pray in the name of Christ. That's why we perform miracles or do kind things, generosity. Give our time. Give our money. But we do this in the name of Jesus. So we don't get the glory. We don't get the recognition. The power is not from us. It's from beyond us. The credit belongs to him. We are servants. In the name of Jesus, this man was casting out demons. Not in his own name. Not in his own power. He had nothing to do with it. And that shows that this man... Understood the truth about what it means to follow Jesus and so such a person deserves a reward Jesus says and it's interesting here Jesus himself refers to himself for the first time and only time as the Christ he says anyone who gives water to those who belong to Christ will receive their reward Meaning uh, water was just a basic act of hospitality, the most simplest forms of hospitality. But if the one gives it in the name of Christ, that in itself is a great act. You see, that means that uh, the simplest, simplest of persons, if they're doing it in the, for the sake of God, or for the people of God, they deserve a reward. The disciples are to be the church, not a sect. And we too have to think about this. Is this text for me, or is this text for someone else? Often we can come to church and believe, well, this one doesn't really apply to me. This one applies to I know who. I wish so and so was in the room right now to hear this one, because I'm thinking of them right now. Have you done that this morning? Have we gone there? and and wish so-and-so was here to hear this because they tend to be this way? Please, let us catch ourselves. How does this word apply to me? Do I cast judgment aspersions on others? What about me? Do I believe that somehow I'm more elite as far as the body of Christ than others? That if they're not necessarily under my wing, They're really not welcome here. And so what does Jesus do? There's a follow-up passage here that is intimately connected to everything he just taught. The next point of Mark's gospel speaks to the danger of opposing someone who's doing things in the name of God. Right? There is a strict warning Because what could happen is, the danger is, if we oppose such a person, especially if they're young in their faith, we might shipwreck their faith. They might leave altogether. They might forfeit their faith and walk away from Jesus, not because of what Jesus did or didn't do. It's because what his people did. That's why Jesus follows up with this very severe and harsh teaching. Because the disciples are in danger by stopping this man, casting him out, and basically excommunicating, opposing him. They can really wreck this man's faith in following Jesus. And it's so severe that Jesus says, sudden death, sudden, immediate drowning is the appropriate punishment for such an opposer think about that think about how serious this is a crime a sin in jesus's mind that he's willing to say it is better for a man if you do this the word here is skandal scandalizo skanda, in greek which doesn't mean sin which our text says the niv and the esv use the word sin no, it's not if anyone causes this man, to, these little ones to sin. It's actually if, if anyone, the best translation I believe, the more correct translation is, if anyone causes these little ones to stumble or trip, forsake their faith. Sin is too narrow. There's many ways people could get shipwrecked, their faith, and abandon their faith in Jesus. Not necessarily only sin. Sin. So we have to be careful in how we treat others who come into the church. Jesus is saying it's better that person if he had a millstone around his neck and be drowned in the sea. Meaning the punishment is worse than that. A millstone was something very heavy that you would put around a a donkey. It was so heavy. Like a collar Look how severe the punishment is. It's immediate death. It sounds very similar to what Jesus says about Judas. Oh, but woe to that man who betrays the son of man, for it would be better if he was never born. That's the kind of language that Jesus is saying here. And then he gives us language. of If your hand causes you to sin, it's better to be cut one hand than enter the life maimed, crippled. He says the same thing for the foot and the eye. And he talks about hell here, Gehenna. Jesus is not literally saying cut your hand, cut your foot, pluck, pluck out your eye. He just healed people with those kinds of severe issues. He's making an exaggerated point to make the underlining point. It's better that you suffer that way than know what you're forsaking the kingdom of God, life, Zoe. Because what do we do with our hands? We can abuse people with our hands. There hasn't been a shortage of that as well in the church. At every level. What about the foot? What does that symbolically mean? Abandoning people. Leaving them alone. They come into the life of the church, but we abandon them because they're not part of our inner circle. And then the eye. How we cast judgment. We look at people a certain way. Up and down. They don't meet our profile in the church. And so Jesus is saying, woe to that person or those persons. Do you understand the severity of not including a fellow brother or sister into your flock? Opposing them? Look at the harsh punishment that Jesus is teaching here. We better take this word seriously and say, does this apply to me? My dear brothers and sisters, we are all broken. We are all sinners. We are all flawed. God receives us. Why can't we receive one another? If God receives us with all our flaws, with all our stains, with all our failures, not once, not twice, but day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, why do we have such a hard trouble in receiving others, welcoming them. At St. David's, we say love grows here. I believe it does. I really believe love grows here. I believe when people come here, they are welcomed. We remember their name. We go out of our way to welcome them. And so this is a lesson and a message and a reminder for those who've been in the church for a long time, remember to welcome all those who enter the life of this church and in your own life who are fellow brothers and sisters. For those who are new in the faith, if you've been mistreated, overlooked, new to the church here, Forgive us. Forgive us. And hold me accountable. The leaders are often the ones here, the 12 disciples, are ones that failed. Hold me, your rector, accountable. If I'm deviating from this teaching, you have a responsibility to hold me to account. If I myself am not living up to these words that I'm preaching here, I have no business serving you. And so I hear this message first. And I have to be held account. For much is given, much is required. This is for all those church leaders around, not only this church, but around the world. What we do with other fellow Christians is extremely important. We shouldn't reject them, dismiss them, overlook them. No, let us empower them. Let us pray for them. Let us build them up. They are part of the body. Everyone here who confesses Jesus as Lord is part of the body. There is no great one here except him. Can I get an amen? Amen. There is only one great one. And the only thing that makes us great is actually to be a servant. Our goal, our aim should always be to be the greatest servant. To be on our knees washing the feet of all people. Rich, poor, whatever background you come from, ethnicity. We must humble ourselves. They're coming into relationship with Jesus. We are called to love them and serve them this is a great lesson for us leaders in the church I hope none of us experience what I experienced felt outside the establishment those with pedigree no may love grow here sincerely God receives us as we are. We ask the Lord to help us change and grow and be transformed into his image. Let him do the work in the people and let us simply serve, welcome, love, pray all those who enter the life of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in Jesus' name.